All right, well, we're gonna get this show on the road today. I am going to make a video. We did not have services tonight at our Portland gathering, so I decided to take that particular message and minister it here tonight on this particular video. We're going to talk about the 70th message in the series, Mind Brain Connections, and we're going to be talking about the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Someone says, what authority do you have to teach the seven churches of the book of Revelation according to our physical anatomy? Well, first of all, when we get into the book of Revelation, we must understand, number one, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And his death exposed the lies that we had embraced in religion. However, his resurrection revealed the truth of who we have always been. That we were, according to Ephesians 1.4, 2 Timothy 1.9, we were saved, we were made blameless, we were holy, we were righteous, we were upright from before time ever began. Now, I don't have time to get into all of those dynamics, but salvation is a discovery. We discover something that has always been true about us. Now, in the book of Revelation, we see much written about the temple of God, and Jesus and Paul the Apostle and other writers wrote that the temple is our physical anatomy. The temple is our body. Also in the book of Revelation, we see a lot written about the throne of God. What is the throne of God? Well, a throne is a place of ruling and reigning. And so as we join the right, which is the mind of Christ, to the left, which is the feminine principle, as the masculine principle intercourses with the feminine principle of our being, what we have done is we have created a throne and we rule from that throne. Now, I cannot think of a better time for us to be talking about having the energy fields opened up in our physical body, when we're dealing with all of the viruses and all of the things that are going around in this time in our life, at this season of our life. And so I want to talk about how that we can heal ourselves, more than heal ourselves, but experience the health that we have always had. Our Father has always been the health of our bodies as us. We came here with that salvation. We came here with that health. And you know, one of the physicians of the New Testament by the name of Luke wrote something there that is very, very important for us to understand. What he said was, physician heal thyself. Now, what does that mean, physician heal thyself? You know, I do not throw out, you know, the gifts of the Spirit or laying hands on people and speaking life to their physical bodies or whatever situation apparently that they may be having at that time. But I believe that there is a place that we can come to within ourselves where we begin to manifest everything in every area of our life that has been given unto us by changing our awareness. In other words, by turning within. As we turn within and as we live from the inside out and draw from our own well, what takes place then is complete and total manifestation of that which has always been ours. You know, the word receive is a very interesting word. 
and it means to take into oneself that which has always been ours. And so as we walk in this consciousness, the Christ consciousness or the Christ awareness, by joining the mind of Christ with our feminine principle, what takes place is the same thing that happens when a woman conceives seed. After about nine months, that womb goes into labor and projects out that infant. Well, that's what happens in us, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. As we receive into our feminine principle or into our heart awareness, that sperma or that seed of God, as it is conceived there and quickened there by the Holy Spirit, it then begins to project out into manifestation. And that's why I say so often, awareness is manifestation. God consciousness is manifestation. Now, I made a statement some time ago about the fact that the ancients said that there were at least 70 different applications of the Word of God. Now, I see it this way. There's one interpretation. That's Christ crucified and resurrected. But there are many different levels of awareness or levels of application. For example, we have the outer court mentality, holy place mentality, most holy place mentality. The word can be applied to us spiritually, physically, financially, mentally, socially. And so that's what I mean when I say that there are many different applications to the word of God. And so we want to experience these applications in every dimension and every area of our life. Why wouldn't we when they're already ours? We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, 4 says, 3 and 4. 2 Timothy 1, 9 says that he's given us all things and we came here with salvation. We came here holy. We came here upright. 2 Peter 1, 3 also tells us that we have received all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you see, it's not something that he wants us to experience in the sweet by and by after we die in the pie in the sky, but he wants us to experience it in the lovely here and now. Now, another thing that the ancients said was that when the energy fields are flowing with this charisma, this Christ, this anointing, all of these words are synonymous, when it's flowing, when the energy fields are flowing with this energy that we have within our physical bodies, they called it a church. And isn't that interesting? A church. When it's flowing, it was called by the ancients a church. It was also called holy fire, even holy Pentecostal fire. When the energy fields are flowing with the energy that our Father has placed within us. Now, let me say something about these energy fields and the energy that flows in our physical body. It flows in a circular motion, goes up the spine in a serpentine motion according to 2nd uh, Kings chapter 6, I believe, verse 8. And you and I could not live if the energy was not flowing within our physical body on the backside. We could not live. I had a, a great niece that passed away last year. She had an automobile accident. And the doctors came out and told the family that they might as well unhook her because she would be a vegetable the rest of her life. She would not be able to live a normal lifestyle. And the words that they used were very shocking because I never heard a doctor ever say this. But what they said was that her solar plexus were so damaged that she would never have a normal type of life again. And so, of course, she passed away. Now, let me say this. We all have energy and charism and anointing flowing within our physical bodies, but not to the optimal level. 
And that's why I'm dealing with this. I believe that we can be in a place where we experience the energy flowing within our physical bodies at optimal level. You see, our Father, Scripture tells us in one, Psalm 139 that our bodies were fearfully and gloriously and wonderfully made. He did not give us one organ. He did not give us one chemical. He did not give us one, uh, one part of our body, no hormone, nothing within our body was not placed there by our Father, and each has a purpose. And so, as I said, many people are waiting till after they die or after some so-called rapture to experience all of this, but he gave it to us. It belongs to us. It is ours now. And so why can't we experience these things? That is our Father being the health of our bodies as us. Once we begin to experience these things at optimal level. So we've been dealing with the seven churches of Revelation. The number seven means complete. It means wholeness. It means fullness. But seven to the ancients meant divine intervention. And every time we see seven in the scriptures, we can apply it to divine intervention in the seven energy fields of our physical body. So it's very important that we come to this understanding. And as I said, especially at this time with, you know, this coronavirus that is uh, going on in the world today, we want to walk in optimal health. We're not just promised healing. We have been promised more than healing. We've been promised health that we can walk in health. You know, the woman that came to Jesus and she had the issue of blood, she said within herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. She wasn't just looking to be healed. She was looking to experience wholeness. And I believe that that is an allegorical picture of us today in the fact that we can experience wholeness today and not have to depend upon someone to lay hands upon us for healing. And again, I'm not throwing that out the window. That's valid for people that need that today. But there's something greater that we can tap into and that we can live out from. Now, as we look at these churches, we find that the first four churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira, connect to the lower body temple. They connect to the lower body temple, whereas the last three churches that are Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, they connect to the upper or the higher body temple. Now, we've dealt with Ephesus already, and I shared with you how the scripture says that they left their first love. What does that represent to us today allegorically? It represents us not realizing the love of the Father, not realizing how much our Father loved us, that we were in Him from before time ever began. And we didn't come here as a sinner. We didn't come here unholy or unrighteous. But we came here as upright. We came here as one. We've never been separate from Him because of His love. You know, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes, I think around 3.14, that says that what God does is forever. Nothing can add to it or take away from it. But yet religion has taught us that when Adam partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we fell. Well, yes, there was a, fa a fall, but where did we fall? Not in our nature, not in our identity. There was a fall in our awareness, and that's exactly what happened to Adam. He fell only in his awareness. And so what took place there is once we begin to embrace religious teaching, 
that taught us we were a sinner and taught us we were no good. And we came here, you know, with an Adamic identity and a sinful nature. And we had to go to Jesus and ask him to forgive us. And then he'll give us an exchange of life. He'll give us a new identity and a new nature. We embrace that lie. And so as we embrace that lie, what happened is we forgot who we were. We got amnesia and we forgot who we were. So the resurrection of Jesus then reveals the truth, the reality truth to us of who we have always been from before time ever began. So this first church of, of Ephesus represents this root energy field. It represents, it represents our foundation. If we do not have a proper foundation in our knowing that our Father always loved us, in fact, he loved us so much that he had never allowed anything corruptible to happen within our nature or within our identity. We were always one in him, and there never was a separation, even though we thought there was. You know, Colossians 1.21 says we were enemies, and it says that we were alienated or had a sense of separation in our mind. But we never really did. We got that from religious teaching and we embraced it, and we got amnesia, and we forgot who we were. Now, as far as this first church of Ephesus, it represents, as I said, the lowest energy field, which represents our foundation. When it is open, we feel confident about our God ability to withstand challenges within our life. When it is closed, things can threaten us, challenges can threaten us, and we're standing on very unstable ground. So Ephesus, this first church here in the book of Revelation, represents the root energy field. When this energy field is closed, we find ourselves being involved in controlling. We're quick to anger. We're undriven spiritually. We're very self-conscious. But once this root energy begins to be open to the optimal level, we begin to withstand challenges. We begin to stand on our own two feet. We're not blocked or we're not threatened when people say certain things to us that maybe are unkind, but we just simply move on from one level to another level, from one realm of glory to another realm of glory, when we begin to understand the love of the Father for us. Now, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, I want to read that verse before I go into the next church here. But in Revelation 1.20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou saw are the seven churches. Now, what are we doing? We are applying this to our physical bodies. If I was applying this in the way that I used to teach it, and I still believe in the way I used to teach it, I'm not throwing it out. We're just making this application to our physical anatomy, to our physical bodies. But I would say there that the stars you see are the pastors of the seven churches and the candlesticks represent the seven churches. But as we apply this to the body, since we're looking at the book of Revelation, as surrounding the temple of God and the throne of God and the temple being our physical body and the throne of God being where we rule from. And where do we rule from? We rule from the fact that we have created this throne of God by joining 
the hemisphere, the right hemisphere, which is the mind of Christ, with the left hemisphere, which is our individual heart awareness. So what are we seeing here in Revelation 1 and verse 20? Well, we're seeing that the seven churches, once again, represent on the back side, as Revelation 5, 1 states, represent the seven energy fields. The seven candlesticks represent the chrism, the anointing, the light, and the life that is flowing through those energy fields. And the seven angels there in Revelation 1, 20 represent the higher thoughts. They represent the Christ thoughts. They represent the God consciousness. And when this is all in line and working properly within our physical body, within our mind, we're going to experience the release of this energy and the release of this vitality. And it's going to even activate the pineal of the pituitary, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Now, I talked recently about the caduceus. When you go into a doctor's office, you see a, a, a serpent, in fact, it's a couple serpents winding up a pole. And what that represents is health. It represents the winding stairway of 2 Kings 8 and verse 6. It represents the energy going up in a serpentine motion up our spine. So as we see this caduceus, I noticed something recently on one that uh, I had seen on a car, actually on the, on the door of a car that was a medical transport. And uh, I noticed on the top there were wings. And I had never noticed that. And I'm not sure that every caduceus has wings on the top, but this particular one did. And I looked at that and I thought, that really makes a whole lot of spiritual sense because the wings represent the higher thoughts. It represents bringing the Christ mind to the individual heart awareness and then experiencing this energy flowing within our physical body. You know, uh, Ro uh, Revelation chapter five and verse one, talks about a book in the right hand, and that book is esoteris. It's the book that we are. It's the book of life within us. And it says it's sealed up on the back side with seven seals. And you know, that's exactly what it says about the Shulamite in Song of Solomon, that she was a garden enclosed, a fountain sealed, and a spring shut up. But she didn't stay that way. Eventually, she was opened up when she had the relationship within herself with the king. Now, an interesting thing also that I found out is this lower area of the root energy field and, and the energy field in the sacral area is called the sacred place. Now, why would it be called, of all places on our body, why would that be called the secret or the sacral place? Well, because that has to do with the sowing of the spiritual seed of the word from the masculine principle <clears throat> over to the feminine principle. So, as we said, each of these churches, I want to go few, through a few of these today, but each of these churches represent an aspect of our physical body, our physical anatomy, and specifically the energy fields on the backside. Now, there are people today that, that do a lot of things, are involved in a lot of things to try to open up these energy fields, and I'm not against any of that, but you know what? Jesus gave us the perfect way of having them opened and flowing. He said, meditate. He said, become as a little child. He said, go into your prayer closet within and shut off everything of the appearance realm on the outside. He said that we were to view things through the single eye. If your eye be single, Matthew 6, 22, your body will be full of light. Why would it be full of light? Because you see, the pineal gets involved. The single eye corresponds with the pineal. And the pineal produces melatonin. And melatonin 
balances our circadian rhythm, it kills cancer cells, it reverses the aging process. They're saying now that it even releases blockages in the heart. It does a lot of wonderful medicinal things, the melatonin within our physical body. And it's very important that we understand this. Then you have a chemical called serotonin that is really produced in the small intestine. What does it do? It helps us in many, many medicinal ways as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But this, this first church of Ephesus that had left their first love, it represents grounding because unless we're established in the love of our Father for us, we're not very well grounded. You know, so many people today are taught religiously that God is mad at them. God has never been mad at us. He's always been mad about us. He's never had any anger toward us. In fact, even if you look up the word forgiveness, it's talking about being freedom, having freedom from mistaken identity. It's not even talking about forgiveness in the sense that we think of forgiveness as we had to be pardoned. Or How could God have to forgive us if he was never offended by anything we did in the first place? So you see, we, it's very vital that we have some understanding of some of these words in order to be able to walk in our liberty, to walk in our freedom, to walk with no condemnation, to walk in a place where there's no guilt, no shame, and so forth. Now, that doesn't mean we condone wrongdoing, but what we need to understand is sin, the word sin, singular, simply means mistaken identity. We've forgotten who we have always been. And sins, plural, represents that which issues forth from the awareness of a mistaken identity in our behavior. And so once we come to understand some of these words, we'll begin to connect with the truth. And that truth will be quickened within us. It will be conceived within us and quickened within us. And the two will become one subjectively or experientially. And we'll then begin to experience the opening of these energy fields or nerve centers. And, and we'll experience life in a way that we've never experienced life before. Now I want to go to the second church, which is Smyrna. And it represents the energy field of the sacrum area. Now, one of the things I've come to understand is that these particular energy fields release the energy in sort of a, a emotion like a wheel. You know, and I think that that's what Ezekiel was talking about when he talked about the wheel in the middle of the wheel. It's emotion. In fact, the word church means the place from whence motion and action springs forth from. And so, as the ancients said, once these energy fields are flowing, they called them a church, and they called them holy fire, because that's what it is. It's the holy fire, the anointing, the chrism of Christ within us, within our physical body. See, uh, 2 Thessalonians 5.23 in the Amplified, or maybe it's 1 Thessalonians 5.3, in the Amplified says that we have been sanctified through and through, spirit, soul, and body. So you see, we're not just one-third saved or two-thirds saved or, or half-baked. Absolutely not. We are spirit through and through. I like to say it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where it talks about being sanctified. I like to say we have been spiritified through and through because we are spirit slowed down to visibility in every aspect of our anatomy. So this second church, Smyrna, let me read the verses here that's uh, written in relationship to Smyrna, the second church. And those words are found in Revelation 2, verses 8 and 10. 
And it says, And unto the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, uh, there was another church where he used the phrase synagogue of Satan, which we're going to deal with next week. But for this lower, the lower energy fields, the four lower energy fields, he uses synagogue of Satan. And then once we get to Philadelphia, which has to do with the upper energy fields, he also uses synagogue of Satan. What could that be talking about? What is the synagogue of Satan? I know a lot of people have a lot of squirrely ideas about that, but it's just thinking from the left side. It's just having intellect in and of itself. It's just natural human reasoning in and of itself. It is the five physical senses connecting with the left side and trying to deceive us and to trying to get us to be led by those five physical senses. So he talks about the synagogue of Satan here with uh, Smyrna. And then he goes on and he says, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, what is this talking about? Some are cast into prison. When are you cast into prison? When are you having a prison experience? Well, when one is in prison, they're usually bound. And so that's what it's talking about. It's talking about those who are living from the left side, from carnal thoughts, lower thoughts. They've not set their affection on things above, but they set their affection on things below. And so that puts them into prison, a prison experience. And then he goes on to say that you will have tribulation 10 days, and if you'll be faithful, he will give you the crown of life. And what I hear in that is the crown energy field begins to be opened. Now, the second energy field is the sacrum area, and it's very closely related to the root center or the root nerve center. And as I mentioned before, there are negative things that are spoken about some of these churches. And what is that talking about? When you read about these different churches, and it seems like there are negative things being spoken, well, that is dealing with the conflict. That is dealing, for example, when you see the Battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation. That's not talking about Russia coming down to Israel. It's not talking about anything in the natural. But the Battle of Armageddon is that which takes place between our ears. It's a fight between our ears where flesh begins to lust against spirit, spirit against flesh. But that will only happen when we're back and forth between the right side and the left side. Flesh lusts against spirit, spirit against flesh. And you involve yourself in a battle. And so what this is talking about here, when it talks about being in prison and tribulation for 10 days, is just showing us that this is a process of awakening that we go through. And notice what he says, be thou faithful, and I'll give thee a crown of life. You know, I've known people, women, that uh, have tried many, many things to try to get pregnant, and they could not seem to conceive. In fact, I had one lady that I ministered to, and... I had gone to this ladies' meeting in Decatur, and Spirit spoke to me before I went there concerning this one woman that had tried to get pregnant for many, many years and just could not seem to conceive and get pregnant and bear children. And finally, she just gave up and thought, well, I guess bearing children is not for me. But the Spirit spoke to me. Spirit of God within me spoke to me before I went to that meeting and said, I want you to speak to her pineal gland. 
And so I spoke to her pineal gland and I told her she would not have another cycle until she conceived. Well, guess what happened? She called me up about three weeks later and said, I am now pregnant. Well, the pineal gland used to be a part of the physical anatomy that when a woman could not get pregnant, they would take her during certain times of the month and set her in front of a concentrated light to open up the pineal. You know, they've done many things with the pineal. They used to take pineal glands from cadavers and mix it into chemicals, and they would inject children that were dwarf children, children that did not have physical growth, and they would begin to grow. And so there's something to the pineal and the pituitary. The pituitary is the master gland of the body, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But why does he talk about tribulation 10 days? Because there's a process in our development or in our awakening. We waken by increments. Now, we're not saved by increments. We're thoroughly saved, so we're not saved by increments. But our awakening process comes in increments because we couldn't take it all. If we were blasted with all of the truth, there's no way none of us could take it. So it, it takes some time. And where he says, be thou faithful in verse 10 there, why does he say that? Because sometimes it takes some time for a woman to actually conceive when she is not fertile within her uh, female organs. And so it's the same thing here in the spiritual as it is in the natural. It takes some time to conceive. It takes some time for this word to be quickened within us. Now notice what it also says about this second church of Smyrna. It talks there about the blasphemy of those that say they are Jews and are not. Now I'm not gonna take the time to go to Romans 2 and verse 29, but this is where Paul the Apostle began to describe a true Jew. And he said, a true Jew is not one that's born in the Middle East. That doesn't make a person a true Jew. But what he said a true Jew is, is one whose praise is not of men but of God. And a true Jew is one who is not one outwardly, according to natural heritage, but a true Jew is one who is one inwardly. So we could say Jesus was a true Jew simply because he lived from the inside out. He said, I don't do anything but what I see my father do. I don't say anything but what I hear my father say. See, what makes a person a Jew is something spiritual happening and taking place within their life. Now, there is a difference between Israelites and those who are born in the Middle East. Their heritage is of a... a, a a Israel heritage or a natural heritage according to Israel, but that doesn't make them a true Jew. The thing that makes a person a true Jew is when they live from the outside, from the inside out, excuse me, when they live from the inside out. So you see, these people here in Smyrna had trouble and they had some issues with those who said they were Jews and were not. It's just like people today, when you're ministering a word like this, Many times people think they're on the path and they really aren't. And sometimes, you know, knowledge can be a vexation. And so I think this is what they were experiencing here. And so he was comforting them. He was telling them, just be faithful. Just be faithful to that work that's going on on the inside of you. Now, notice he also states here that the devil is going to cast some in Smyrna into prison. And that is simply because what is the devil? It's not some entity out here. What are evil spirits? It's not some entities out here floating around, but it's mindsets. When you do this, the study on words like evil spirits and, and Satan and devil and so forth, you'll find that it has to do with your awareness. And so he was saying here to these people 
that they're going to be cast into prison. Why? Because they're thinking from the left side. Their thoughts are low thoughts. They're not the high thoughts of Christ from the right side. And this is why when we get into the book of Revelation and we see nations mentioned there, nations are imaginations. We see wars there. We see conflicts in the book of Revelation. And none of them are natural, but they represent something parabolically and spiritually. See, the book of Revelation was sent and signified unto John from his angel. What does the word signify? It means it was written in sign and symbol. It's not something that is literal. Now, as we come to understand these things, we begin to experience what the woman in Revelation chapter 12 experienced. It says there that this woman birthed the nature of Christ. She birthed the man-child or the nature of Christ. And it says there that she had a crown of 12 stars upon her head. Now, we could go in a lot of different ways with the crown of 12 stars. It can represent governmental awareness. It can represent the 12 cranial nerves. It can represent the 12 constellations. There are many things that we can look at that this crown that this woman had upon her head represents. But I believe that it represents an awareness that she had that came from her right side, that came from the Christ mind. And then it goes on to say about this woman in Revelation 12 that the moon was under her feet. What does moon represent? Moon represents emotions. Moon represents the fact that she had her emotions under her feet. In other words, the emotions from the left side were not being displayed in and of themselves. But she had submitted her emotions to the right side of the Christ mind. Nothing wrong with emotions. Nothing wrong with the left side. God gave us the left side. He gave us emotions. He gave us reasoning ability. He gave us intellect. He gave us all that. But the point is there needs to be a priority where that needs to be submitted unto spirit. And as a result, this woman, as having on the mind of Christ, the crown of the 12 stars, the moon or the emotions were submitted to spirit on the right side. As a result, what did she do? She birthed the nature of Christ. She birthed manifestation. And this is why I say so often, awareness is manifestation. God consciousness on our left side, our feminine principle, is manifestation. It is the manifestation. And that is exactly what we see this woman doing in Revelation chapter 12. She birthed the manifestation. And that is the second church. So we have looked at Ephesus, the root energy field. We have looked at Smyrna, which is the sacral, the sacrum area uh, where that second energy field is. And now we want to look at Pergamos. And I want to read here in Revelation chapter 2, verses 11 and 16, Pergamos represents the solar plexus. Now let me say something about the solar plexus. They're in the center of our anatomy. And the scripture in Malachi, I think it's chapter 4, it talks about the fact that the sun, and it's S-U-N, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The word sun in the scripture, S-U-N, represents the solar plexus and the energy that begins to flow from the solar plexus. And what is in the solar plexus? When the solar plexus releases the energy, it says in Malachi chapter 4, it arises with healing, and I'm going to say health, not just healing, but health, in his wings. And the wings, once again, represents the higher thoughts. So when we pull our thoughts from the right side, from the Christ mind, 
the solar plexus begins to release that energy that brings us into this state of health. And we experience health, more than just healing, but we experience health. Now let me read about this church at Pergamos in verses 11 and 16 of Revelation chapter 2. It says, Unto the angel in the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which has the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast thy name, and hast not denied my faith. Verse 16, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there which hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, the solar plexus, this particular energy field or nerve center, is very positive. It's very positive when it's open. It's very positive when it's closed. The solar plexus energy field speaks of our ability to be confident and in control of our life through Christ. When it is closed, we often feel butterflies in the pit of our stomach. Like, for example, if you're getting up to speak or doing certain things and you feel that feeling of butterflies in the you know, pit of your stomach, if it's blocked, you may feel overwhelmingly amounts of shame and self-doubt or second-guess yourself often. Have you ever second-guessed yourself? Well, we all do. When it's open, we're free to express our Christ nature or our Christ self. So when it's closed, you see, it can manifest in the form of anger, impulsive reactions, and what that does then is kill any spiritual aspirations that we have. Now notice here, it talks about Satan's seat. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. What is this talking about, Satan's seat? It is simply talking about us being led and guided and directed by man whose breath is in his nostrils. And this particular nerve center of the solar plexus is also connected with the intellect. Because notice it goes on to say and talk about, to this church at Pergamos, things you're eating, things that are sacrificed unto idols and committing fornication. What is that talking about? And then we could read in 1 John 5, 21, where he said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And idols is the Greek word idolon that simply means false ideas about God. So what is this where he's saying that they ate things sacrificed unto idols and they committed fornication? It's just simply being caught up in your lower thoughts. It is simply receiving all of the thoughts and thinking of religion. It is living on the left side of human reasoning or mere intellect, rather than yielding that to the right side of the mind of Christ and the Spirit of God. So the eating of these things sacrificed unto idols is just simply talking about these false images and false ideas that we have had about God. Now, one of the scriptures that comes to my mind very quickly as I think about that is Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 6 and verse 1 where it tells us that we are to leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ and go on to perfection or actually that word perfection is maturity. 
So what is this talking about here? Back here where it talks about Pergamos and where it talks about I know, you know, where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is, and, and you've eaten things sacrificed into aisles and you've committed fornication. What is that talking about? It's just simply talking about us embracing the things of religiosity. And we've embraced a lot of the idols of religion. In fact, that is what caused us to forget who we have always been. That is what caused us to have this amnesia. And so once again, as we come to the place to where we're no longer eating things sacrificed to idols, we're no longer embracing religiosity, we're moving on from the principal things of the doctrine of Christ and coming into maturity, what is happening? The solar plexus then are releasing that energy. Now, as I said, you can live right now if you're solar plexus we're not releasing even at least a measure of energy in your body you couldn't even live but what i'm talking about is the optimal level releasing the optimal level where we experience and we walk in see objectively our father is the health of our body as us but not too many people are subjectively walking in that and experiencing that so as all of these churches become open and the energy and the charism and the anointing and the Christ is flowing not just in us spiritually or in our spirit, but in our bodies as well, then we begin to experience that optimal level of vitality. The aging process is reversed. Cancer cells are killed. A whole lot of awesome medicinal things take place within our physical bodies. So that's, that's uh, Pergamos. Let's look at the next one now, Thyatira. And Thyatira then is the last one of the lower body temple. Remember the first four churches represent the lower body temple. The last three churches represent the upper body temple or the energy fields, the last three energy fields as we work our way up the physical anatomy. So Thyatira here represents the heart energy field. And you would think the heart energy field would be on the, the group of the upper but they're not, they're still, it's the last one on the lower body temple, the heart. So let me read about Thyatira in Revelation 2, verses 18 through 24. It says, Unto the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and thy charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. <clears throat> Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffereth that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her, into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, I will put upon you none other burden. Now, this description here of Thyatira being the heart energy field, notice how he connects and he says that he knows their work of charity, service, faith, and patience. Those are truly works of the heart. So through this energy field of the heart, what happens is we learn to bridge the gap between the upper and the lower, we learn to bridge the gap between ourselves and people. And as I said, this is the last nerve center on the lower body temple. And it is because it is us reaching out to people, expressing the love of the Father to people. 
You see, we don't just have love. Just as our Father doesn't just have love, He is love. And the same way with us, we don't just have the quality of love. We our love. We are love personified. We are love. And so you see, as this begins, this heart nerve center begins to open up, then we have access in a greater way to express. I have written down the heart energy field is the bridge between the lower and the upper nerve centers. It influences our ability to give and receive love from others and from ourselves. When it is blocked, people have difficulty opening up to people fully and completely. If open, people experience compassion flowing out of our lives just as Jesus was always moved by compassion. And that was a key to his success. He was always moved by compassion. And so this heart energy field is very important for us to have opened up rather than, than to be blocked or to be closed up. Now notice it says here that Jezebel took hold of these people here. And we know that Jezebel was responsible for taking the heart of the people away from the obedience of Christ. In other words, it is in effect living a physical pursuit without any spiritual aspirations. And if you look up that word Jezebel, it means unrestrained woman. So in other words, their left side was unrestrained. It was not submitted unto the spirit, you see. And so it goes on to say that as we have this experience of this heart energy field opened up, it goes on to say that he will put no other responsibility on anyone. Why does it say he'll put no other responsibility on anyone when the heart energy field is opened? Because the unrestrained woman or feminine principle has been submitted to our masculine principle the two have become one subjectively or experientially, and so there's nothing else to be concerned about. So nothing else, when this takes place and the heart energy field is open, then there's no other burden, as it says there, that is placed upon people. Why? Because the heart center, the last one, or the heart energy field, the last one on the lower body temple, automatically then brings you to the last three. That's why when you come to this place to where the heart energy field is open, it spontaneously and automatically then opens you up to the last three, which are represented by Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, Sardis is the throat energy field, and we're going to read about that in momentarily here. But Sardis, we're dealing with the upper body temple now, the last three churches in Revelation, the last three are Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And Sardis has to do with the throat energy field. And this nerve center has to do with hearing. The heart has to do with hearing, but it also is coupled together and it really happens simultaneously with speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, you see, when that's opened up, out of, the, out of the, the heart that has been opened up, out of the obedience or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can see why that the, once the heart is opened up, then these other three just automatically begin to flow. And there's nothing else that needs to be put upon us because it will automatically take place. So Sardis here represents the throat, and when the throat begins to be opened up, 
you begin to articulate. Let me read about the throat energy field. It gives voice to what is conceived in the heart. It controls our ability to communicate, to articulate easily and spontaneously. So you see, once the heart has received the conception of the Word of God, then the mouth will automatically speak. It won't be something that is worked up. It will just automatically flow, and you'll give outward expression to what's true of you inwardly through your words and through what you, what you speak. Now, let's read the verse of Scripture that has to do with Sardis and has to do with the throat. It says in Revelation 3, 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now notice it says there, thou hast a name. This church at Sardis that has to do with the throat and speaking words, it says there, you have a name that you live, but you're dead. Now let me just kind of break that open to you because many times we think that name means merely authority and character. And it does mean authority and character. I'm not taking away from that. But to the ancients... That word name meant way, way. Not just character and nature, name to the ancients meant way. And then there's a Greek word also for name, and it means, as you study the root of this and you uh, get the derivative of the Greek, it means to be aware. It means known, something is known. It means to perceive. Something is perceived in your awareness, and it means speak, and it means to understand. So yes, name means authority and it means character, but it also means way. It means to be aware. It means to know truth. It means to perceive or have the truth conceived in your feminine principle. And then it means to understand and it also means to speak. So what is this talking about? Well, Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So what we put in abundance in our heart is what we're going to speak. Now I remember years ago, and I, and I don't uh, put down the faith realm or the faith teaching whatsoever, but we went through that realm. We learned a lot of things there, but it was kind of a name and claim where they would jump on the words rather than jumping upon our heart or jumping upon our awareness or our God consciousness. And so we would be speaking all of these words, and they had next to no power at all, you see. And I remember when I was ill, I would speak all the time, by stripes, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And my husband looked at me at one day and he said, well, if you're healed, why aren't you up and out of this bed? You see, because it was words. I was taught to speak words and to speak the right words. But as I began to change my awareness, as that feminine principle, my heart awareness, began to conceive the word of the Lord, then the words automatically and spontaneously flowed and they were words of spirit and life. They were words that had power behind them. So as we look at this name where it says, you have a name that you live, but you're dead. Why? Because they did not know the way. They did not have conceived within their feminine principle the truth. And as a result, they appeared to be alive and living and breathing and walking, 
but they were really dead as far as their consciousness was concerned or as far as their awareness was concerned. Then Sardis is also told that in order to strengthen what, we, what, what remains within, it must undergo a purification. Now, when we get the word within us and it's conceived in our feminine principle, then what begins to take place is a purification, a sanctification, if you will. You see, sanctification is not a process that we go through in the sense that we're cleaned up on the outside, but purification and sanctification has to do with us knowing something or knowing someone on the inside of us, knowing the I am that we are, knowing that we came here whole and upright and complete, and we were always that. From before time ever began, we were that way. And as we begin to understand that and know that, then there's a process of purification and sanctification that happens, but it only happens within our awareness. We're sanctified in our awareness. We're purified in our awareness. So, so that's the church at Sardis here that he's talking about that represents the throat, the speaking of the Word of God. And I believe the speaking of the Word of God is very important, but I don't believe it's as important as we once believed that it was without the consciousness or the awareness of Christ conceived within our feminine principle or in our heart awareness. Now, as we move to the next one, Philadelphia, we find that Philadelphia here in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, which I'll read in a few seconds here. But this energy field of Philadelphia has to do just with the head. Now, when the head begins to have that energy field opened, what happens there is it activates the pituitary. And this, this head one, this Philadelphia one, which talks about the head, is associated with the pituitary. Now, the energy field in the head is located right between our two eyebrows. And what happens with these last two energy fields, Philadelphia and then Laodicea, the head then begins to be activated as that energy field is open between the eyebrows and it affects the pituitary, which is the master gland, and it affects also the pineal gland. And as 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8 talks about, it talks about Solomon's temple and going up into the third, the winding stairway up into the third. And what happens is when the energy field is opened within the head, the energy begins to affect, as I said, the pituitary and the pineal, and then that energy goes to the right side, just like in the winter. When we go through the winter solstice, the sun goes down in the heart of the earth. It's there for three days and nights. And then on December the 24th, 25th, it begins to rise. And as it continues to rise, swallowing the burnt offering of Aries, as it continues to rise, it eventually goes to the right side. Springtime comes. And then as it continues further to the right side, what happens is summer comes. And that is precisely what happens in our physical anatomy. As the energy field in our head is opened, it activates the pituitary, it activates the pineal. And we begin to experience and come to understanding and encounters and spiritual experiences like we have never had before. You begin to come into this place of great enlightenment when the energy field in the head is opened and it affects the pituitary and the pineal. So let me read here in Revelation 3, verses 7 through 11. 
talking about the church of Philadelphia, it says, And the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and not denied my name. Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, this is the sixth, Philadelphia, the sixth energy field, and it is associated with wisdom and the seat of the mind. And this open door that he's talking about here is something is being opened up on the inside of us that brings us to a higher consciousness, and it establishes us as a pillar in the house of God. Because why does it establish us as a pillar in the house of God, in our own house, which is God's house, God's temple? Why does it establish us as a pillar? Simply because the pituitary is known as the master gland. It's the pillar gland. It's the pillar in the temple. And notice it mentions there to have patience. What do we have patience in? Well, when we can learn to have patience in our meditation, and realize that we're living in the most crucial time ever known to mankind where things are beginning to happen not only in us spiritually but in us physically, then we will walk through this open door that he talks about here, a door that is open. I have set before thee an open door. Again, what is the open door? It is simply walking into this place of this higher wisdom and higher understanding to a place to where we go in and out no more, as it says later on in the book of Revelation. In other words, we get established. We get settled. We are grounded. We have the chrism. We have the fire. We have the energy flowing through our physical bodies. Now, I believe we are that anointing, and we are that chrism, and we are that fire, but very few of us are really experiencing the optimal level of the flow of that within our physical bodies. So as we walk through this open door mentioned here, we see that there are two methods of action. It's the opening of the nerve center associated with the pituitary, but also we have to understand but the, that the pituitary cannot work apart from the pineal. And so when you come to the last church, Laodicea, this is the crown energy field, the crown energy field, and this is the one that has to do with the pineal. See, the, the pituitary can't be activated without the pineal being activated. And so here in Revelation 3, 14 through 16, talking to the church at Laodicea, it says unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So what is being said here is, and, and you know, the church has long forgotten about the pineal. In fact, if you look up the word pineal in your dictionary, you'll find that the 
The definition that is given is a vestige. What is a vestige? It's something that's been thrown out. It's something that has been long forgotten by the religious church. But it's a very important aspect. The pineal is associated with the single eye from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22 that Jesus told us if our eye is single, our whole body will be filled with light. And so this lukewarmness that he's talking about here is associated with something that's undesirable, something that is useful for nothing. In other words, its potential is in danger of being discarded. And it has been discarded. You know, the, the scripture of Matthew, uh, Jesus gave a parable of building our house upon the rock. It talked about not building on the sand and not building, you know, on different levels uh, of ground. But the one where he said, if we will build our house upon the rock, when the storm comes, it'll not fall. And what does that represent? What does it mean to build our house upon the rock? Well, the pineal, when it has become a vestige, when it has been thrown out, as useless in our life, then we're not going to give any importance or credence to the pineal. The pineal is really comprised of small granulars like sand. And he said, don't build your house upon the sand, build it upon the rock. When the pineal is activated, what happens is it gets hardened. And thus it is called a rock. In many places you'll see that it is called a rock. So we're to build our house upon not the sand, not a pineal that we have discarded because we don't see any value to it, but we're to build our house upon the rock. In other words, we're to activate this pineal in the pituitary and build our house upon the rock. And so this is why that when he looked at the church of Laodicea, he said that they were not cold or hot. He said, I'd rather you be cold or hot. In other words, that's talking about lukewarmness. And the church has become, the religious church today has been very, very lukewarm simply because they will not move on and come into some of the, you know, truths that they consider to be New Agey or Eastern. You know, I was telling my daughter today, who do we think wrote the New Testament? Who do we think wrote much of the Bible? But the people of the East. I mean, there's a lot of understanding that we could gain from them, from the ancients. And they have a lot to say. But what have we done? Just like the pineal, we have discarded it until it has become a visage. So it's very important that we understand this. Now, notice here concerning this last church in verse 17, he goes on to say, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? In other words, they're being compared to the same state of awareness that Adam was in, in his awareness, after partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, we could go back to scriptures like, for example, in Psalm 82, verses 6 and 7, where Jesus looked at the religious people. He said, I've said you're gods, and you're all the children of the Most High, but you're going to die just like men, and you're going to fall like one of the princes. Why? Because they simply did not go far enough. See, the question is, the, the scriptures tells us, as he is, so are we in this world. So my question is, if these energy fields were given to us of our Father, if every chemical and every hormone and every organ was given to us of our Father, as Psalm 139 says, our bodies were fearfully and wonderfully and gloriously made, if they were given to us of our Father, wouldn't he want us to activate those different areas of our physical body? I, I'm sure he, he does. 
And I'm sure that we can. And I'm sure that there's the people that are today because they're beginning to leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. They're beginning to realize, listen, we have to build. We have to push the envelope a little bit further. We need to go on, as Hebrews 6, 1 says, leaving the principles of the doctrines. It doesn't mean we throw them out, but it means we build upon them and we go further. Now, notice what else he says here in Revelation 3, 18 about the church at Laodicea. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And what is the energy when it flows called? When it's flowing in our physical anatomy, it's called fire. Buy of me this fire, gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. You want to be rich physically in every part of your being? And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear. So you see, he's even calling nakedness and being unclothed, he's even calling that as not experiencing this fire, buy me this gold tried in the fire. So he's looking at these people that have thrown this truth out that's so vital to living an extended life and a long life. He's, he's dealing with this church at Laodicea and telling them, you need to buy of me this gold tried in the fire. You need to go back and you need to reconsider some things that you have long ago thrown out. So you see, I believe that as we begin to go through this book of Revelation, not only do we see some of the negative things that were spoken to these different churches, except for Philadelphia, we need to realize why is he bringing forth some of the negative sounding phrases and words concerning these seven churches that he is? Simply because they have conflict between their ears, they have conflict in their physical body, they have conflict in their life, they're not experiencing who they have always been, and so that's why we see some of the negative things that are written concerning these seven churches, or at least six of these seven churches in the book of Revelation. And it's all symbolic. We need to see it all symbolic. You know, in, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1, he talks about the book within, and we are the book. It's esoteros. The word book is esoteros, which is the Greek word for the book within. And it says, and that's us, and it says that it is sealed on the back side with seven seals. That's our backside that has been sealed up. And so as we come to the understanding that we can take any book of the Bible for that matter, and we can see different applications, and especially here in the book of Revelation that we're doing right now, we can see different applications to different areas of our life, and especially as we look at the book of Revelation and apply it to our physical anatomy, our physical body, we can see that there's something that we need to embrace here. We need to embrace the truth here that we see in the book of Revelation and realize that we can take this and we can make that application to our physical body. Yes, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, but the same anointing that flows in you spiritually is the same anointing that can flow in us physically and be manifested in us physically. Now, we're going to look at a lot of things in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the bottomless pit. What is the bottomless pit? Well, the bottomless pit is something that has no bottom. When your desires are from the left side, they're just fleshly desires, they'll never satisfy you. Nothing of, of fleshly 
desire will cause you to be satisfied or fulfilled. And so the bottomless pit, which has no bottom, would be the desires of the left side. What about the four horses? We see a white horse. That's the right horse of the Christ mind, the white horse, the right side of the Christ mind. The black horse is the intellect on the west side. What is the red horse? It's the emotions. What is the pale horse? It's just the physical, just being concerned, you know, God, I need to be healed. God, I need this, that, and the other. It's just drawing from the natural mentality. And so we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at the lake of fire. What is the lake of fire? You have a lake of fire burning within you right now. What is the great white throne? Well, the white throne is your Christ's mind, and it's continually bringing a judgment about your thoughts. As you're tempted and challenged to think the lower thoughts from the left side, what happens? That Christ's mind begins to come up, and it begins to put down those thoughts of the left side. So all the way through the book of Revelation, we can see these realities that have to do with the opening up of the energy fields within our physical body. So we've looked at these churches. We've seen Ephesus as the root energy field. It has to do with our grounding and knowing and experiencing the love of the Father. The second one, Smyrna, is the sacral area or energy field that helps us to relate to our emotions and the emotions of others. It also governs creativity. The third one, Pergamos, has to do with the solar plexus and the energy that flows from the solar plexus. It has to do with shame if they're closed or, or feeling self-doubt or second-guessing yourself. When it's opened, you're free to express Christ and the energy begins to, and the vitality begins to flow from your solar plexus. The fourth one, Thyatira, has to do with the heart energy field that bridges the upper with the lower. It has to do with difficulty dealing with people and difficulty with loving people, difficulty with loving yourself. The fifth one, Sardis, has to do with the throat, and when that is open, you can articulate things more readily. You can speak more spontaneously. The sixth one is Philadelphia, and it has to do with the head, and this one has to do specifically with the pituitary, and then Laodicea has to do with the crown energy field that has to do with the pineal. It has to do with seeing things and judging things by the single eye, by the spirit, rather than judging things by the seeing of the natural eyesight or the hearing of the natural hearing. So all of these churches, and we're going to go through this whole book of Revelation, and we're going to apply it, as I said, to the anatomy, the physical anatomy of our physical bodies. And we're going to see a lot of wonderful things here in the book of Revelation. I'm excited about teaching this book of Revelation. I have a whole series on YouTube where we taught, I think, 60 some, 62 or 63 lessons on YouTube of the book of Revelation. And we taught it as the revelation of Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And I'm not taking away from any of that because we could not experience the opening of these energy fields if it were not for the fact that the death of Christ exposed the lies and absorbed the lies of religion that we had believed that gave us amnesia and then we forgot. And the resurrection revealed the truth of who we have always been in him. We could not experience what we're talking about today the basis of all of that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So we're not taking away from that in the least. But we're beginning to enlarge and expand upon the death, burial, and resurrection. 
and see that as a result of what Jesus did, his passion and his work, as a result of that, we can be aware of who we have always been, even from before the foundation of the world. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you the next time.